It's a special privilege to get to be with you tonight up here while Spencer's out at camp, so uh, it's always an honor to, uh, to speak before uh, this great group, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. I thought I'd mention a couple of things. One thing is that um, our Wednesday night series, we're really hoping that we will have more of these ready for you on Wednesday night. I hope you'll come, and we'll have uh, video number three ready to go on our series about Revelation. Looking forward to uh, continuing that. Um, my daughter, Elizabeth, uh, has been in Myanmar for a month, and um, she just got back last week on Tuesday, and um, then we got her turned right back around to go to Memphis, where she's working as a children's intern with the Highland Church of Christ there in Memphis now, but um, going to try something. I don't know if this will work, but um, when she went to Myanmar, uh, this is a trip that the congregation here helped support, and uh, so our thanks to the mission committee and to many individuals who helped her financially to be able to go on this trip, and so I'm going to try to speak for her and tell you a little bit about the trip to Myanmar. Um, so those of you who are kind of at least were back at least into the 60s, Paul, am I starting this or do you start it? Yeah. Okay, so if um, Myanmar on, on the left is India, on the right side or the, the east side, I should say, if you, if you remember the Vietnam War, you're, you're familiar with hearing about Laos. Thailand, a little bit farther over is Cambodia and Vietnam. But here's the country of Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, which is, um, interestingly enough, at least to us, is that Judy's dad served during World War II in Burma. And um, Yangon is, this, is right around here, um, which is where the Bear Valley uh, mission group that we support, I think we support them fully there, and they're training local preachers uh, in Myanmar who already live there to stay there and preach. Uh, Elizabeth's team from Harding was farther south in a town called Malamwine. Now, they, um, they left the country's a beautiful country, lots of um, water, jungle areas, and the whole effort was to meet with students that were kind of college age that uh, the local missionary there has uh, been arranging these studies. And so they would meet with a group of two or three or four, um, and there were four in this team from Harding who went. And so each day, starting about 9 a.m. for an hour, each group, and then break for lunch, and then from about 1 to 5, they continued um, with these meetings, and so they would, uh, they would meet in this small group and study the Bible using um, the attraction to the people from uh, Myanmar was that they were learning English, and the attraction for the mission group is that they were using the Bible to teach English, and most of these people are Buddhist, and pagodas, which were really quite beautiful that they saw around in the countryside, and the typical way that you may picture Buddha as seated and large man is not always the way Buddha is presented 
in this country. This is reclining Buddha, which if you can see it clearly enough on... Uh-oh, wrong button. Um, it's... And this country has very feminine features on the Buddha. They... Um, it's a, it's a country, it is a country where the religion is almost exclusively Buddhist, and it is a religion which seems to be somewhat one without hope. They, they live their life, and at the end of their life, if they haven't uh, achieved the kind of life they were supposed to, then they will be reincarnated in some other form and keep trying until they get there. And if they get there, they don't know. There's no savior for them. And at the end of it, it's just like you're gone. It's just... Finally, there's no existence, I think, is kind of their beliefs. So, uh, there's Elizabeth wearing one of the, uh, some of the clothing from there, the hat. This is the uh, college students who are on her team, kind of on one Saturday in a kind of a uh, resort, not a resort, but a park area. Uh, they ate the food with them, and the different uh, students that they studied with would often uh, bring food or invite them to eat with them. Um, it is a beautiful countryside. Uh, some of these special meals, they actually sat on the floor to eat, but they don't always eat that way. Um, and this is the kids of the missionary couple. They have, uh, it's an American couple, but they have four children and a fifth one who's on the way. And here's some of the students that Elizabeth studied with. And, you know, the peace sign, this is what they like to do in their pictures. But uh, they were, she said that their hearts were very open to listen to the story of uh, the Bible. They have not heard it before. Um, They've really not heard the Bible. They have not heard the story of creation. They have not heard the story of salvation through Jesus. They don't have a Savior in their religion. And this is all something that was very interesting to the people that they studied with. Um, and here's some more of the students that she was with. And um, again, these pagodas of the Buddhists that uh, were around the countryside are quite ornate, elaborate, lots of money invested into these buildings, even though the people are not poor, but they are not a wealthy people. And apparently one of the things that they do is um, they're Buddhist priests go around to the town, the restaurants, wherever people are, asking for money and food. They don't seem to pay them. So, uh, Spencer's not here. Maybe we could kind of work that out to help. No, we won't do that. But that is kind of their, uh, their style. That's what they do in their country. This, this is the Harding professor and the other students that she went with. And um, this is kind of the, the building that they met uh, with these uh, students every day, and um, it, was, it was a very rewarding trip for Elizabeth, and uh, she wanted to express her thanks to Valley View uh, and the mission committee and to the several individuals who helped her uh, financially. It's a very rewarding trip for Elizabeth, but I think it's the trip where you can see that um, people with open hearts for the Word, they've never heard it before, and uh, that's really what we got to be a part of and what we're continuing to be a part of uh, with the work with Bear Valley in Yangon. Um, so, um, I just want to give you a little taste of what that was about so that you could kind of see what, what you got to be a part of. 
um, through your giving. And so Elizabeth says thanks, and I say thanks. Judy says thanks. We appreciate uh, your support for her. Um, so don't think that we're fixing to leave, you know. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, boy, we are getting out of here early tonight. But we are not. That was just the warm-up. Now the sermon is about to start. Paul Wallace is usually starting the, his timer, so Paul, you can start it now. All right? yeah, it's, um, it is Father's Day. Spencer, I thought, had a fantastic lesson this morning. Uh, not on Father's Day, so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. As we honor our fathers, all of us have a father um, maybe living, maybe not, that we remember in our hearts. Um, here's an, an old statistic. Back in the day, some of you were too young to remember this, but they used to have something that we called on telephones long distance. Some of y'all remember that. And long distance calls, the most long distance calls in, on one day were always placed through the year on the same day, and of course that's Mother's Day. And Back in the day when there were collect calls, the most collect calls placed in one day were always on Father's Day. Um, one of my favorite presidents, Teddy Roosevelt, while he was in the White House, had a daughter who was young, and she was quite rambunctious. She, he, Teddy Roosevelt, as president, said, I can run the country or I can control Alice. I can't do both. Um, that's speaking as a father. This is one of my favorite quotes. This is from Mark Twain. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. Uh, this is Robert Fulgham. Don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they are always watching you. Uh, this is actually from the Talmud. When you teach your son, you teach your son's son. I think there's a lot of truth in these. Um, Judy's uh, younger brother, Brent, when he was, I think, 11 or 12, uh, was having a little talk with his dad. And he told his dad, when I grow up, I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. And uh, at the time... Judy's dad didn't smoke cigarettes, but he did smoke a pipe. And he said, so Brent said, when I grow up, I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. And Mr. Kraft said, well, that's good, son. And then Brent said, I'm going to smoke a pipe just like you. <laughs> Judy's dad quit smoking the pipe the next day. So that's one of those things of how we learn, how important it is, this father-son, father-daughter relationship. Um. This is a verse from Deuteronomy. Just, it kind of fits in with our study of Joshua for Vacation Bible School, but this is really just before entering the Promised Land. God is speaking to Moses and telling him that he was going to fight for them in the Promised Land. And he said, As he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. The picture of God as our father carrying us like a son is a, is a beautiful and warm picture, I think. 
Sometimes I think back about when my three kids were in the house and how swiftly those years passed and how many mistakes I made. Things that I should have said and done, but I didn't. Things that I should not have said and should not have done, but I did. And I, you know, those are times you look back with regret. Um, I try to look to things about uh, the Bible as to what a father should shouldn't do. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians chapter 6 said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Yes, I love that. And then I try to quit reading. Because as you know, two verses later it says, Fathers, it doesn't say mothers, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I think I did a lot of that. Um, But for a few minutes, I want to kind of finish, or look at the finish of that passage from Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that's really our job. We might have missed some things that we should have done as fathers, but we can't miss this one, to bring up our kids and the training and instruction of the Lord. They're going to make their own choices, but you don't want to look back as an old man and think, well, I missed the most important thing. So I want to bring you on a little journey through time, back in time to about the year 970 B.C. David is the king. He's nearing the end of his life, and he's about to turn the kingdom over to his son Solomon. So you'll turn to First Chronicles First Chronicles chapter 25. 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1 and 2. Uh, David, with the commanders of the army, set apart some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthan for the ministry of prophesying, accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. Here is the list of the men who performed this service. From the sons of Asaph, Zachar, Joseph, Netaniah, and Azarelah. The sons of Asaph were under the supervision of Asaph, who prophesied under the king's supervision. Then skip over to verse 6. All of these men were under the supervision of their fathers. For the music of the temple of the Lord with cymbals, lyres, and harps, for the ministry of the house of God, Asaph, Jeduthan, and Heman were under the supervision of the king along with their relatives, all of them trained and skilled in music for the Lord. They numbered 288, young and old alike, teacher as well as student, cast lots for their duties. I I love the way it describes all of these men were under the supervision of of their fathers, and all of their fathers were under the supervision of the king, being humble enough to being under the supervision of the leaders is what part of the father's job is and being willing to exert supervision over our sons is part of the job of the fathers it says all of them were trained and skilled in music for the lord you know many people have very some natural skills in music or athletics or any number of hundreds of things that you're naturally skilled at but it says these were trained and skilled in music. They were naturally skilled in music, but they continued training. 
Because that part is very important. You don't just rest on your natural skills. You work at it. And they use their skills, it said, for the Lord. And it said, young and old alike, teacher as well as student, cast their lots for their duties. We don't cast lots for our duties, but we do all need to realize we have a duty. A duty to do while we're here uh, working at the local church for the Lord. But I want you to kind of keep this idea in mind that Asaph is one of the guy's names that was mentioned and the idea of the training in the music and the singing is very important. Look over to Second Chronicles chapter 5. It's now about 10 years later. Solomon is a king. He's finished building the temple. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 5 about 10 years after the passage we just read. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. The priest withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthan, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices and praised to the Lord and sang, He is good, and His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service, perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud and I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Ten years have passed. The same three guys are present, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, and their sons. And what are they doing? They are the musicians and singers in unison. It says in verse 13, as with one voice, they gave praise and thanks to God. You cannot underestimate the importance and the difficulty of more than one person speaking with one voice. How difficult it is to truly be in unison when you have more than one person. And they were speaking as one voice for God, giving praise and thanks to God. That's really the focus. Not so many other details, but giving praise and thanks to God. They said, he is good. His love endures forever. Okay, now this is all going somewhere, so you've got to hang with me here. Who wrote most of Psalms? Well, that's David, but not all of Psalms. And Psalms, of course, is the songbook of the Israelites, a collection of songs. And so we're going to now go to the passage read by Tony a little bit ago, Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. Um, if your Bible is written this way, you may look back to Psalm chapter 73 through 83, and your Bible will pro probably indicate who probably wrote these psalms. And none other than Asaph wrote most of these psalms from 73 to 83. We're focusing on Psalm chapter 78. I'm not going to reread all of what Tony read, but I want to focus on, look at chapter 78, verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. The emphasis is on telling the next generation about God. 
And in verse 5 he says, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. That's one of the commands of God was for the fathers to teach their children. And then in verse 6, he says, So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. So the next generation will know, and in turn tell the next. Okay, really, isn't that what Vacation Bible School is about? We told the story of Joshua, and every teacher who was telling it had been told that story when they were young. And we're telling the story again now, to the young kids. That's what Vacation Bible School is about. It's about fulfilling what God told us, to tell the children the story. And that's what camp is about, and that's what FBI is about, and the puppet show back there right now, and Sunday school, and the youth group, and work camp, and the canoe trip, and Christian education. It's all about the fulfillment of Psalm 78, to teach the next generation. And why? Why does God want us to do this? Look at verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. It's kind of another way of saying that great song, Trust and Obey. That's why God wants us to teach the children in the next generation so that they will believe and will learn how to trust in God and obey him. Okay, this is all great, except... One of the things that I think is the big uh, kind of test of this is it's one thing to preach it, but it's another thing to practice what you preach. Did Asaph practice what he preached? We have the, the message from Chronicles that his sons were with him and they were the singers and they were part of what he was teaching them. Now, that was about the year 950, 970 B.C. Now we're going to flash forward about 525 years. Nehemiah has been in Babylon, and he's coming back from captivity, coming back from the exile to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And when he comes... And they get the wall finished. They're going to dedicate the walls. And so there's a little verse that is easy to pass through because it's part of a census. And it's comment and number. Comment and this many people. And so let me just read you Nehemiah 7.44. Short verse, it says, The singers, the descendants of Asaph, 148. Okay, did you notice who the singers were? They were the descendants of Asaph from 500 years before that. How did that happen? It happened, I think, because Asaph did exactly what he wrote about in Psalm chapter 78, where he said, our job is to teach the next generation. Teach the next generation. That's what it's all about. And I think Asaph must have done such a good job about it that somehow... However many generations passed for about 500 years between the dedication of the, the first temple and the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, the future generations, the descendants of Asaph, were still faithful to God. In fact, they were still singers. 
and they were there at the dedication. Okay, for us, 500 years from now. Not only we won't be here, but will this building even still be here 500 years from now? Okay, let's face it, it's probably not going to be here 500 years from now. Who knows what the landscape will be like 500 years from now and where all of our descendants will be. But it kind of still ties back into the study of Joshua. Do you remember closing words of Joshua, chapter 24? Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Fathers and mothers, it's really up to us to make sure that we make the commitment for our families, for our household, to serve God. And then each child is going to make their own choice. The parents are responsible to teach. The kids will be responsible as to what they do with it. But you sure don't want to get to be 60, 70, 80 years old and look back on your life with all the regrets that we may have and one of them being saying, I should have taught my kids and I didn't. And it made a difference if I did and it made a different kind of difference if I didn't. Who knows? Perhaps decades from now or centuries from now, the story of Joshua is going to keep being told in somebody's vacation Bible school. Because we started telling it, and because, guess what? Not because we started it. Probably because someone before us, a generation before us, told us. And we're part of passing this baton to the next, and to the next, and to the next generation. I'm happy to be a part of that, aren't you? And if we haven't been a part of it, let's make sure that we dedicate ourselves to be a part of passing that baton to the next generation. That we teach our children so that they can teach their children about God, to know how to trust and obey God. Tonight, if there's anybody who would be interested in seeking a stronger commitment to the Lord, who may have decided that it's time to uh, follow God with a greater commitment in baptism. Tonight, if there's anything we can do for you in words of prayer or encouragement, let's do that now as we stand and sing. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with